Thanks for being here. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. So glad that you're here on Palm Sunday. Why don't you take just a second and uh, tell the person on your right, I'm glad you're here. And uh, tell the person on your left where you're hoping to eat lunch after church is over today. If you've uh, been with us the last uh, month or so, then you know that we've been doing uh, this series that we are calling Flourish about what it means to be in the house of God. And uh, we've talked about how there's a transition in the scripture from being strangers and aliens to being in the house of God, to planting down roots in the house of God, to then bearing fruit, to flourishing. And uh, we've talked about uh, God's house and his people. We've talked about God's house and uh, faith. We've talked about God's house house and um the Word of God, a lot of different things, and you can catch up on those at BayouCityFellowship.com, listen to the podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the church and religion. A few things I'd love for you to write down, a definition I think would be helpful. Religion is acts of faith disconnected from the will and heart of God. Religion is acts of faith disconnected from the will of and heart of God. So there are things that we do in the name of faith, not necessarily in the name of Jesus, but in the name of faith that really are not what God has asked us to do, or maybe it is what God has asked us to do, but somewhere along the way, our heart got disengaged from the heart of God. So we just do it because it's supposed to be done, or we do it because it's some kind of tradition. Churches have weird traditions. It's true. My church growing up did. This church probably does uh, have some weird traditions. One of my favorite ones from when I was growing up is that my church wanted to celebrate your birthday. So the Sunday before your birthday, somebody would stand up in the middle of service and say, do we have any birthdays? They didn't even have to explain the whole thing. They just had to say, do we have any birthdays? And if your birthday was close, you would hold up your hand and then you would come forward. And as you came forward, the person who mentioned the birthdays would hold out two things. The first thing they would hold out is a box of pencils. That was your birthday present. You got to pick a a pencil. Uh, The other thing that they held out was a empty coffee can. And if you were not an insider, you didn't know what the empty coffee can was for. But what it was for was to put your offering in. So it was kind of like you were buying a pencil from your church for your birthday. And nobody thought that this was strange. I remember when it was this Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's because that's when my birthday is. I was so excited to buy my pencil from my church. You walk up, you get your pencil, and then uh, you drop your money in. And if it was uh, a lot of time that Sunday, they'd sing happy birthday to you. You just try to think, like, where did we get that? I mean, I don't think it says in, you know, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and everyone shall give out birthday pencils for a offering charge. You know, it's not in there. What probably happened, some people got together and they said, you know, it would be really great if, if we just celebrated people's birthdays. And other people in the committee went, yeah, that would be fantastic. Well, what can we give people for their birthdays? Well, we got this huge box of pencils over here. Let's start giving some of those out. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. We're celebrating people's birthdays. It's good stewardship because we already got the pencils. And then the third person in the committee spoke up, and, and their just heart was just so moved by God. 
that they thought, I don't want to receive on my birthday. I want to give on my birthday. So let's take up an offering for anybody who wants to give on their birthday in Jesus' name. So few weeks, months, generations later, you could buy a pencil at church for your birthday. We all have things that we do in the name of faith, acts of faith that are disconnected from the will of God. God's not even asking us to do those things, but we do them. And we all have things that we do that God is asking us to do, but it got disconnected from our heart. That is religion. And I want you to know there is a difference between religion and what God is asking of you. There's a difference between religion and what is required of you this morning. John chapter 12. It's the gospel of John's account of the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday, which we're celebrating this morning. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and there are three different uh, groups of people here. First, you have the disciples. They're the faithful ones. They've been with him for three years. They've been following him in and out of Galilee, in and out of Judea, up mountains and down mountains, across rivers and back across on the Sea of Galilee. They've been with him. Now, they don't fully understand what's happening. And John, one of the disciples, admits that. He said, we had to remember later on that these things were said about him and these things were done to him. So you've got the disciples, you've got the crowds. Now, one group of the crowd is with him because they were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And now they're telling everybody. The message has got into the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is swelling at this time because they've all come to celebrate the Passover holiday. So you've got people flocking into Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate this holy festival. And they've heard, hey, there's this prophet, there's this man, there's this teacher. And he just raised someone from the dead. Where? Way far away? No, just across the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Just a few minutes walk. He raised somebody from the dead. So you've got this crowd. And the crowd, they're singing portions of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're reaching back into the Old Testament prophecies out of Zechariah. And they're saying he's coming in on a donkey. They're celebrating him. And then you've got the religious people. The Pharisees. The Pharisees are mad this is happening. They're mad at Jesus. One of the other accounts 
they say to Jesus as these people are singing these songs, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as they're applying all these titles and uh, prophecies to Jesus, they say, Jesus, you need to stop your followers from saying these things. They're mad at one another. They're saying, you know, look, all of your attempts to thwart Jesus, all of your attempts to silent him, silence him, they're, they're doing nothing. The whole world is following after him. Because this is what religion does. When everyone else is celebrating, you are mad. When everyone else is praising, you are pouting. When everyone else is in the moment, you are looking for what is wrong. And these religious people, they miss out on the praise, the proclamation, and the mission of Jesus. At the time, there were four main religious divisions in Israel. They were all different forms of Judaism. There were the Pharisees, which are mentioned here. There were the Sadducees, which you can learn to spell up on the screen behind me. There were the Zealots, and there were the Essenes. All of them forms of Judaism, but with different emphasis and different recognition and all of them failed to miss Jesus as God's son and as the savior of God's people. So how can I recognize when I'm being religious? It's very easy. You come to church at least three times, you're already a religious person. You've already established traditions and patterns that you don't find in the scripture. To get here, you walked an established religious tradition. It's your Sunday pattern. It's your Sunday habit. So how can I recognize if it's so easy to slide in to a kind of faith that has the acts disconnected from the will and the heart of God? How can I see it in myself? I would love for you to write down four things this morning. Religion says my holiness is better than your holiness. The Pharisees, they were the most present in the Gospels. And right away as you read the Gospels, they're set up as Jesus Jesus' antagonists, they started out great. They didn't start out as antagonists. After the exile of God's people in Babylon and Assyria, a group of people got together and they said, God warned us that if we were not faithful, this kind of thing was going to happen. So let's be faithful. And they just formed a little group of people who were dedicating to following God's laws as he had given it, which is a great thing. But what happened is, Generation after generation, they handed down the what, but they didn't hand down the why. They handed down the patterns, they didn't hand down the heart. And so by the time the Pharisees of Jesus' generation are walking around first century Israel, they've got all the acts of faith you could ever want, but they're disconnected from the heart of God, and that's why they are in consistent conflict with Jesus. They were influential locally because they were common people. Well, see, the Sadducees were not, and so the Pharisees were set up against them. They were the division of the people at a local level. And their hallmark, and the reason they had conflict with Jesus is because they emphasized their own expressions of holiness as more important than other people's expressions. I want to show you an example of this in Matthew chapter 12. It says in verse 1, at, the, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck the heads of grain 
and to eat it. So they're taking a shortcut because that's what men do. They're walking right through this field. And the disciples hungry, they just rip off some of the grain and they eat it. And the Pharisees, verse 2, saw it. Which means that they had sent people to follow Jesus around to catch him in not being religious. Here's one sign that you are a religious person. If you expend too much energy in trying to catch people, then you are religious. If you spend time patrolling the internet to see who is obeying and not obeying, you are religious. If you expend any energy in your conversations trying to find out if people do the same religious acts as you, then you are a religious person disconnected from the will and heart of God. The Pharisees are spying on Jesus as he walks through this field and his disciples. And so they catch him. They bust the disciples. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What they're saying is they're harvesting. Now, anybody in their right mind would know that they're not bringing in a harvest. They're not doing any actual work. They're just walking by. And as they're walking by, they're eating some of it. And he said to them, verse 3, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? So he's going to use one of their heroes against them. And those who are with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, meaning the priests work in the temple, but yet they're guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have been condemned. Uh, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus is communicating, whatever rule you Pharisees put in front of me, I am the Lord of that rule. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the law. The law and I are not partners. We are not co-equals. I am the Lord over the law. What else he is saying is that you cannot pick and choose which parts that you want to obey and then judge people for. Because look what he quotes the scripture. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice before. And then he asks him if it's good to do, uh, if it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So in one sense, they were obeying the Sabbath. They weren't doing any work. But they weren't acting with mercy either. In one sense, they were not doing any work. They were obeying in the law. But in another sense, they were disobeying because they didn't want good to happen on the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives woe after woe, seven woes to religious people just like this. And he says in one of them, he says, you guys tithe on your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Both are in the law, tithing in the law, it's 10%. You pick that part. You know what else is in the law? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
but they just gravitated towards the tithing. And because that's what they gravitated towards, that's what they wanted to hold everybody else accountable for. I want you to imagine with me that as we dismiss, as we do every week, we encourage people to go to the access room, which is out in the lobby to the right. It's for people who want to be prayed for. It's for people who want to take a step towards Jesus. And so maybe as it happens most Sundays, somebody's back there and and they're just working out their faith and they come out of the room and they're like, "I, I don't know what I came as, but I'm leaving today. As a Christian, I have decided to put my faith in Jesus and I'm saved. I have confidence in eternal life. I'm a Christian. And they walk out and you're hanging out in the lobby. And uh, they walk right over to you and and they say, I'm I'm a brand new Christian, brand new today, right there in the access room. It happened for me. What's the first thing that I should do? What would you tell them? Rhetorical question. Some of us would say, uh, hey, you need to grab your Bible. Do you own a Bible? If not, let me get you one. I want to uh, uh, just take your Bible, start in Genesis, and just read it all the way through. Others would go, no, 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 start with the Old Testament. The Old Testament's got a bunch of weird stuff. They'd have to wade through, you know, Genesis, Exodus, and they'd get to Leviticus and quit the whole thing, you know. <laughs> you got to start in the Gospel of John. You start in the Gospel of John. You read one chapter of the Gospel of John for 21 days and you'll be finished, that's the first thing you need to do. Others of us would say, you need to block out 30 minutes every morning on your way to work, before you get to work, when you wake up and to pray. You pray, God listens, now you're connected to God, there's no division. You need to cement that in prayer. Somebody else would come up and go, you need to join a community group. Sign up right over here. You've got to get some people around you. You've had bad influences, now you need to have good influence. You've had worldly influences, now you need Christian influences. Somebody else would come and say, you need to join a men's accountability group. You got a whole bunch of junk in your life. You need to get in there. You need to get somebody holding you accountable for that. Somebody else would step up and say, well, you need a mentor. You got to get a mentor. You got to get somebody to raise you up in the faith. That's what it was all about. Jesus and the three and then the three to the 12. That's what's got to happen in your life. And God is saying, amen to that. But you and I, we pick our favorites, which is not bad until we start using our favorite to judge whether or not someone else loves Jesus. The Bible people are judging the prayer people, and the prayer people are judging the Bible people, and the the Bible people aren't in the community group doing the Bible thing together, and they're judging one another. And you got the accountability people judging everybody because they're not in accountability. But you can't pick your thing and hold everybody else accountable to it. You know why you can't pick your thing? Because you got a thing that's not your thing. Nobody holds anybody accountable for what they are weak at. Only what they are strong at. Nobody in here who struggles to find an hour to pray during the week is asking anybody else if they pray an hour a week. Nobody who struggles to open up the word of God during the week really wants to bring up the Bible to other people. But if I did pray an hour this week, you're gonna know about it. And I'm gonna find out a way to see if you prayed too 
And if we did, then I'm going to measure who prayed more. And if you didn't, I thought you were into this. religion that says my version of holiness is better than your version of holiness. Second thing I want you to write down, religion says I can use my holiness to get respect. The Sadducees, they were like if a church and a political party merged together. Sounds like a nightmare. But that's exactly what they were. They had national influence. The Pharisees had local influence. The Sadducees had national influence because they were wealthy. They were elite. They were made up of the priestly order. So they were ministering in the temple in Jerusalem, which was a big deal to the Israelites. They embraced Roman rule. Most of the Israelites hated the fact that Rome was in charge, but the Sadducees used it and leveraged it as an opportunity to be influential and powerful. They would say to the Romans, listen, you guys are doing your business all over the world. Uh, you're here in our land. We will be your helpers. We will help you manage. We will help you uh, know what's going on with the people. We will help you keep order. So they used their faith, their Judaism, as a way to get influence and respect. Jesus only interacts a few times with the Sadducees that we see, but we can see their power and influence and authority at work in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles are arrested. Listen, everyone's guilty of using their faith and acts of faith to get respect. In fact, everyone's so guilty of it that Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Who are the hypocrites? It's these four groups that we're talking about this morning. As they do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus paints this picture for us of someone giving alms to the poor, which is a great thing. It was good and it was common. But he's saying before they gave, they made sure that everybody knew that they gave. They sounded the metaphorical trumpet. Hey, everybody, I'm here giving to the poor. You know what our modern day version of this is? Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's the perfect vehicle for letting everyone know how righteous you are. And we're all guilty of it, right? Hey, down in uh, inner city Houston, serving the homeless. Hashtag in Jesus' name. Yeah. Listen, anybody with an Instagram account has done the Bible on the table with the coffee cup. We've all done that. Hashtag daily bread.
everyone gives in to the temptation to use your faith, to leverage your faith and acts of faith to get respect. But that's where religion sneaks in the door. Because pride and religion are glued together. And pride is always lurking around the edges of your faith, looking for a way in. About four and a half years ago, I got a phone call uh, from this team in Illinois. They wanted to do a conference, and they were not from a big town, but uh, uh, they just had such a heart for their city, and they wanted to do a conference in the convention center there in their city, and they had heard about me for I don't know where, and they said, we want you to be like the main speaker. So I'm like, let me pray about it. Yes, I will come. <laughs> not very many people wanted me to be the main speaker of anything, so yeah, it's good. All right. And, uh, and so they're like, sweet, it's a year from now. We're planning way ahead. It's a year from now. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. And we'll contact you a little later on. So six months go by, and they get back in touch. Hey, things are really going well. We're so excited. And, oh, man, I'm so pumped. I'm going to be like the, I mean, they didn't use the word headliner, but I'm going to use the word headliner. And, you know, I'm wondering if they got a website where I can find my picture on it and then the bio that I wrote for myself, you know, um, I'm just pumped. I'm pumped. I'm excited. Excited to serve. Excited to be the main person serving. It's, it's great. Three months later, they call. Hey, things are really still going well. Here are a couple of real specific things to pray for. One month out, get an email. It's not going well. Great. Uh, turns out nobody wants to come to this conference. Fantastic. So really start praying. And what I want to say is you need to start inviting some better people to come. That's, you know, who's that? Oh, no, never heard of them. Not coming to the conference. So long story short, two weeks later, canceled, done, no conference, which is great because I've been to the thing where you fly there and you thought there were going to be thousands and there's four. Like I've been there, so I'd rather just stay at home. I can email those four people from home. I don't need to leave for a weekend to do that. But fell apart, which is not surprising because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I need to send them an email and be like, it's my fault that it, it failed because of my pride. I was so pumped to be the main guy that it all fell, fell apart. But it's, it's happened to all of us where pride and faith just got just woven together. And when that happens, then, just, then you just start being religious and start doing things to be seen. In fact, let me give you a question to write down. How much of your faith stuff would, would you stop if you knew nobody would see it? I mean, honestly, if you knew that you weren't going to get credit from anybody for coming this morning, would you come? I'm glad you're here, but that's religion. Let's not be confused about what that is. Would you read your Bible if the guy at your office wasn't going to mention it during the week? Would you pray if you knew that you weren't going to have to, to talk about it at community group or in your family? What acts of faith would you no longer do if people could not see them? Because whatever would get burned up by that question is just religion. Acts of faith disconnected from the will and heart of God. The third thing I want you to write down, religion says I can take matters into my own hands. 
You've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees, and you've got the Zealots. Jesus actually had a zealot as one of his 12 disciples, Simon, not Simon Peter, another guy named Simon. And the Zealots shared the same core beliefs with the rest of Judaism, but what they emphasized, which is a hallmark of all religion, is they emphasize something specific. And the Zealots emphasized the land of Palestine. They knew rightly that God had given them that land. He rescued their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey, with richness, and they settled there. But they, they couldn't resist the allure of idols, and God sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, and they never did. And here comes the Babylonians and Assyrians, and they just essentially hijacked the land of Palestine away from the Israelites. And, and eventually the Israelites got to go back to the land, but they never got to be in charge of it again. Because when the Babylonians fell, they fell to the Persians, and then... Persians kind of handed it over to the Egyptians, but pretty quickly the Greeks got in there and then the, the Romans. And that's who was in charge when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the Romans. And the zealots believed if we just got to be in charge of our land again, then it would be just like our forefathers and God would live with us again because there was a day when we would go to the temple, our ancestors would go to the temple and they could see the cloud of God's glory there. We just have to go by faith, but man, we want to come by sight. We want to see it. And if it weren't for the Romans, then we would be in charge and God would be free to come back. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to help God alone. So the zealots picked up weapons. And they'd fight the Romans at any opportunity. They'd schedule insurrections. They'd cause trouble for their fellow Israelites because they knew that it annoyed the Romans. What they were trying to do is get the Romans to be like, we don't care about this little piece of land, so we're just going to leave. I know that nobody in here feels like they should pick up a weapon in the name of their faith, but we've all tried to help God along. We've all tried to hurry up the process. Because how many of us have laid down a significant request and then thought to ourselves, if I read my Bible a bunch this week, will that help get my request answered? How many of us have ever been in a season where we just seem like it's just suffering day after day and thought, I, I wonder if, I wonder if I came to church a little bit more, would it ease and relieve the suffering that I'm in? We've all thought, how can I hurry up the process? How can I help God along? Churches do this. With a pure-hearted desire to see people's lives transformed, we think uh, it's not going as fast and as efficiently as it should, so let's create a machine. We create classes, class 101, class 201, 301, 401. You just go through the process and by the time you graduate from 401, you step out as somebody spiritually mature, holy and righteous. We just put you in a machine. Why? The goal is good. We're just helping God along. It's the same heart that the zealots had, just different machine. 
with different weapons. The last thing I want you to write down, religion says abandon the culture. You've definitely heard of the Pharisees, you've probably heard of the Sadducees, you've, you've maybe heard of the Zealots, but you have definitely not heard of the Essenes. You know why you haven't heard of the Essenes? Because they were not present. Because in the name of faith, they picked up from their cities and villages and they moved out into the wilderness to live together no longer in the marketplaces, no longer with jobs, just all together out in the wilderness. And man, out in the wilderness, they were incredibly godly. They read the law, they studied the law, they memorized the law, they practiced the law, but they had abandoned their culture. And just down the street, the Messiah that all that law had predicted Savior that all those prophets had foreseen was walking in their former cities and villages. And they are nowhere to be found in the gospel accounts because they were not present. I won't have you turn there, but Acts chapter 17 tells the story of the apostle Paul and he's in Athens. And it says when he's in Athens that uh, he just sees all these idols all around and his spirit is provoked by these idols. And, and you think, man, if you're in this, this city and it's all these idols and what's behind idols with demons, there's so much darkness and his spirit's provoked. Here's what I would do. I would get on a boat out of Athens. We leave. I don't wanna be around this. It's awful. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go on to the next town. But you know what the scripture says? It says right after that, that his spirit was provoked by all these idols. It says, and then he went to the synagogue daily to reason with the Jews. Then he went to the marketplace to reason with the common people. And then he even engaged the philosophers. So the spirit of Paul was provoked by all these idols and he didn't run, he engaged. He engaged at every level. He engaged at the religious level. He engaged in the marketplace. He engaged in the idea level. Religion says run. The spirit of God says help, be a part. Jesus said, be the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, but man, we do our best to hide it. We do our best to hide it. Listen, there, there may be darkness in your office. And there may be days that you get home and you start searching the internet for other opportunities. Somebody's got to stay. Your kids may learn a curse word on the bus on the way home from school. And you may get online and go, Christian school would be a better option. Homeschool would be a better option. And maybe it is, but somebody's got to stay. Plus, I've been to Christian school. They cuss a bunch there. look around at your neighborhood and be like, man, nobody on my street goes to church. It would be cool to have neighbors who went to church. Yeah, it would be cool. You know what would be cooler? Living on a street where you are the only believer. Somebody's got to stay. 
And so before you make any move of withdrawing, just stop and ask, God, is this what you want? And maybe it is. Maybe he's got a different school choice for you. Maybe he's got a different work option for you. Maybe he's got a different neighborhood, apartment complex waiting on you. Maybe it is. One holy person's holiness isn't better than another person's. But religion just says run. And somebody's got to stay. It's hard to live here though, isn't it? It's heavy and dark times. Our culture is shifting away from priorities that we used to share. It's easy to wash our hands of the culture. You know, Galatians chapter six, verse seven, it's a favorite word of a, a lot of people. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Amanda and I went to the NCAA tournament that's here in Houston on Friday night. And the game was over. We're standing out on the sidewalk as, the, as we're leaving Reliant Stadium and waiting for the stoplight to change so we can cross the street and kind of down away from us, down the sidewalk a little bit. I start hearing somebody like yelling, like full on yelling. And I thought maybe it was a fan celebrating, but I look down, this young guy, probably 20, 23, 24 years old, he's wearing a, like a suit, a full on suit. And he's got a Bible in his hand and he's just screaming. He's like got spit flying and stuff. You know, I mean, it's bad. And that's why nobody sits right here, you know, on Sunday. But people are walking back and forth. He's just going for it. And it's all the stuff that you would anticipate, you know. You're wicked and you're going to hell. And I wanted to be like, dude, we just went and watched a basketball game. Like that's not very hellish, you know. Um, it's awful. And my thought was, man, thank you, God, that he's way down there. And, uh, and not right here in my face, because it's just awkward. It's awkward for everybody. It's awkward for the unbeliever. It's awkward for the believers. Uh, it's just awkward. It's probably awkward for him. That's why he's yelling so much to fill up the silence. And about the time I'm like, thank you, God, that I'm not down over there. Somebody right behind me starts with the same message. Woe to you, wayward sinner, repent. Judgment is coming. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And that's how we feel about our culture a lot of times. It's dark and it's awful. I just wash my hands. Fine, reap what you sow. You didn't listen to us the first time, first hundred years, just reap what you sow. But you know what comes right after Galatians chapter 6, verse 7? Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Man reaps what he sows. It says, do not grow weary in doing good. Maybe the answer for us in these dark times and shifting culture is not to abandon it. It's to not grow weary while doing good. Some of you are strategizing an exit plan. And what you need to be strategizing is some rest so that you don't grow weary. Religion says my holiness is better than your holiness. Religion says I can use my holiness to get respect. Religion says that I can take matters into my own hands. And religion says abandon the culture. What's better than religion? John chapter 12, verse 1, right before Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday into the city of Jerusalem. That same chapter starts like this. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. What's better than religion? Worship is better than religion. Mary took her valuable perfume, worth a year's wage, poured it all out over the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she was moved by who he was. She was moved by what he had done. And she was moved by what he was going to do. That should be the motive for all of our acts of faith. This is who I believe Jesus is. This is who I believe, what I believe Jesus has done. This is what I believe he is going to do. So I will come to church and I will serve and I will read and I will pray because this is who he is. This is what he's done and this is what he's going to do. Let everything else and every other motive get burned up because it's just religion and religion is not required of you this morning. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you set us free from meaningless action. You have condemned void, hollow expressions of faith. And I just pray for just a strong renewal this morning. Maybe our habits and our actions don't change, but what can change is a re-engagement of genuine love and belief, faith and hope. Just in a spirit of prayer, as I mentioned earlier, you just may be like, I'm not sure where I stand with Jesus. I don't know if I'm just religious. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't really know what any of that's about just in a spirit of prayer just ask God to show you ask God to speak to you and then as services are ending today if you just want to take one step closer to Jesus but you don't know exactly what that looks like can you just make your way back to the access room to my right to your left out in the lobby there'll be some great people in there who would love to pray pray with you help give you spiritual counsel God we put our lives in your hands pray you would speak as we worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer ministry team is going to come and take their places as they do every Sunday. Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer, and we take that very seriously. This is not the landing of the services. This is probably the most important part. We've talked about God. We've talked about his way. Now it's time for us to talk to him. 
and ask for his way to be done in our lives. And so if you came today with a burden of some kind, come and pray with these family members who help carry your burden with you. If you are sick and illness has invaded your home and life, we want to pray and take a stand against that in Jesus' name. We can't make promises that only he can keep, but he tells us to ask, and we will ask boldly. So if you've got something else going on in your heart, maybe you just want to come and just say, man, thank you, God. I, I've been praying for something, and you answered. And I just want to say out loud to somebody besides myself, thank you, God, you've come. And if today you just are just coming with a lot of routine and habit and action, but you want your faith and heart to be engaged a little bit more, then I think there's some fresh wind available for you today. So God, we pray you would answer these prayers. We pray that this would be a time where you could speak for yourself. You don't need a speech.